Let's pray. Lord, as we come to read your word today, as we come to go over it, Lord, uh, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you will help us, Lord, to, to see our own sin, Lord, that you will help us to, uh, by your Holy Spirit, to, to understand, Lord, just who we are and how much we need you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you recall when Jesus was brought before the council, before his crucifixion, he was falsely accused of saying, I will, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. What Jesus had actually said was, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And when he said that, he was speaking about his body, the temple of God. The temple that those on that council would crucify and destroy. Picking up from our Acts reading last week, when Deacon Stephen was brought before the council, his accusers said he said, a very similar thing as they said Jesus had said. They said of Stephen, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, meaning Israel's temple, and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Well, Stephen didn't say that, of course, but it is highly likely if Stephen had heard what Jesus had said in Matthew 24, that Stephen would have said the temple will be destroyed because Jesus predicted it. And if Stephen had heard what Jesus had said in Matthew 5, he may have said that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Whatever truth he did say it offended those who did not agree with him. And because of that, he was brought before the council and accused of blaspheming against God and Moses, against the temple and the law, which was a capital offense. That was not true, of course. Why were these people so offended? At what Stephen said, they were so offended because they had made an idol out of the temple and out of the customs of Moses instead of worshiping God whom these were supposed to serve. As a reminder of, as, as, um, as something that would bring them into worship. And Stephen pointed out their error. The temple made with human hands had become to them a symbol of their own identity, their own skill, their own power. It had long lost its true meaning and had little to do with who God was and little to do with true worship 
and true prayer any longer. Their system of religion was now turning a profit. It was not simply used for worship and supplying the needs of those who worked there. There was a temple tax, a livestock and currency exchange in the place where God had wanted set aside for prayer and Gentile seekers, as I understand it. And that's why Jesus had entered the area and made a whip, driving out uh, the people that were there, buying and selling, turning over the tables of the money changers. Jesus rebuked them for turning the house of prayer, God's house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And when they asked him to show them a sign indicating his authority to do so, that's when Jesus responded, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The law itself had been reduced to a tool to show how holy these scribes and Pharisees were instead of a tool to reveal how holy God was. Sacrifices had become a money-making scheme for the high priests and Sadducees. But all of these things had originally been put in place to point to God and eventually to point to Jesus, the true and lasting temple and sacrifice. As Matthew Henry comments, the earthly tabernacle was framed just as God appointed and according to the fashion which Moses saw in the mount, which plainly intimates that it had reference to good things to come. The tabernacle was a tabernacle of witness or of testimony, a figure of good things to come, of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not men, as Hebrews 8, 2 says of Jesus. This was the glory both of the tabernacle and temple, that they were erected for a testimony of Christ tabernacling on earth and the temple of his body. Well, Jesus had come as that tabernacle and he had preached against what the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees had been saying and doing in the name of God and in his temple. Jesus revealed the truth about God and about his own divinity. But Jesus was rejected, of course, tried and crucified by these very same people who were now trying Stephen. Stephen, along with the other disciples, were continuing on with Jesus' message, being filled with the Holy Spirit after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And Stephen was telling these men, you've got it all wrong. The type of thing you are doing is self-serving, not God-serving. The tabernacle and all of the law pointed to Jesus, 
and his fulfillment of the law. This, of course, was what got Stephen in trouble with those who had gained wealth and power from that system of religion. And when Stephen was brought before the council, the high priest asked him if the accusations against him were true. And Stephen began his defense. He began his defense with a history lesson about God and Israel. He spoke about how God appeared to their ancestor Abraham and called him out of Mesopotamia. How God promised Abraham that he would give the land of Canaan to his descendants some 400 years later, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Then Stephen went on to remind those who were trying him that Abraham's great-grandsons, the 12 patriarchs of Israel, were for the most part pretty evil. They had envied their brother Joseph and sold him off to Egypt. But nevertheless, God was with him and rescued him and raised him up as their savior. Stephen went on to speak about how God began to bring about his promise to Abraham after Egypt had put their people under slavery, how God raised up Moses, but how his own people, Moses' own people, rejected him at first. And even after Moses delivered them 40 years later, they still turned against him and against God in the wilderness. And because of their rebellion, that generation never entered the promised land. Finally, their children did enter with Joshua, but they too constantly rebelled even there and rejected most all of the prophets that God sent to them. Stephen reminded these people who were trying him, of what Moses had said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That prophet was more than a prophet. That was Jesus, their Messiah. But they rejected him too. The problem that they had was the same as their fathers. The sin of rejecting God by rejecting those who God had sent to them. Those of whom he had anointed with the Holy Spirit. Instead, they idolized the works of their own hands and they flaunted their own righteousness. As Matthew Henry shows in his commentary, there was obviously no blasphemy toward God or Moses in, in what Stephen was preaching. He showed the highest respect 
for both God and Moses. And Stephen's point to those who were accusing him was this, where God is present by his Holy Spirit, there there is holiness. The earthly tabernacle was pitched first in the wilderness. It wasn't even native of their land, but it was brought in by the next generation of those uh, who built it in the wilderness. The, the following generation brought it in. There was no disrespect for the law, law or the temple. Stephen had simply showed its purpose, Jesus. But then by the power of the Holy Spirit, Stephen's defense was turned into a div divine prosecution of those who were actually trying him, and that they couldn't take. Stephen said in verse 48, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Stephen went on, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, speaking of Jesus, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Stephen, by the Holy Spirit, was telling them the truth about their hearts. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart like those in Acts 2, but instead of repenting, these gnashed at him with their teeth. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Imagine that. Jesus standing in honor of his first martyr. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, that is the ones who actually stoned Stephen, laid their coats at the feet of Saul, who will, who will later on be converted and become the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen, and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, 
Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You could see there that Stephen was indeed filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, with the similar words as Jesus said when, when he was crucified. These men had done it again. Just like their fathers before them, they had resisted the Holy Spirit. They had killed the very messenger that God had sent to them once again. How tragic. But before we simply shake our heads at them, thinking ourselves better, let's take a look inside our hearts. We all have this same bent toward sin as those men had because of our fallen human nature. And when we don't admit that, that's when we have a bigger problem that they also had, the problem of not even recognizing our sin. These men actually thought that they were worshiping God when in fact they had been worshiping their own perceived goodness with regard to the law and regard with regard to others. And there are many like them today worshiping their own goodness and, and whatever their highest law is. But Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's because the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was not the righteousness of God, but was self-righteousness. It was righteousness in one's own eyes. So the question becomes, are you worshiping God and admitting your unrighteousness without him? Or are you smug in your own goodness in comparison to others? If you are the latter, then you are in the same camp as those who stoned Stephen to death. And sorry to say that many people are trapped in that camp today and don't even realize that anything is wrong with how they are thinking. Many are deceived, only feeling better about themselves while they are condemning others. And that sin is everywhere you look today, especially noticeable on social media. But again, what did Jesus say? He said, let him who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone. Why did he say that? Because no one is without sin. No one but him. He is the only one who has the right to judge others, him and his word, because they are perfect. And yet, he took what should have been our condemnation upon himself. 
when he died on the cross for us. And Jesus will someday return from heaven to judge those who ultimately rejected that payment for their sin once for all. He will never condemn those who trust him and who turn to him for salvation and for his righteousness. Those with poor and contrite spirits who tremble at his word. No. Those are the ones he will receive into his kingdom. Is that you? Or are you still resisting the Holy Spirit and rejecting Jesus? If so, please humble yourself. Please realize that sin. Confess your sin. Confess your need of salvation and your need of his righteousness, not yours. Be free from sin in Jesus. Pray with me, will you? Lord God, as your word says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There, was, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Lord God, that's what your word says. And Lord, when we try to do our best, we always realize that your word is true. The only way that we can feel at all better about ourselves often is to look at someone who we feel may be worse, Lord, but we know, Lord, our hearts are not good. Lord, we know that without you, we have no hope. We are hopeless because we are bent towards sin. We are bent towards selfishness and, and not toward loving others. Lord, we come to you today and admit that. We come to you today and ask you, as David did after his great sin, to create in us new and clean hearts. Lord, only you can do it. Lord, only you have paid the price so that you can exchange your righteousness for our confessed sin. Lord, help us, Lord, to turn to you completely as our Lord and Savior. Help us to turn to you as our righteousness, our only hope of heaven. We thank you so much for what you did for us. We thank you so much for coming to earth, taking on flesh and being condemned for our sake. And Lord, we rejoice in your resurrection and we rejoice in your return for us, that we might live with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.